0: let me know. Uh, We are live. So we welcome everybody from around the globe. We got much to pray about. As you know, things going on in the world that are uh, driving us toward the end of the age. And I'm excited about that, really, because the Lord said He'd never leave us nor forsake us. And then He said, when you see all this stuff going on, look up for your redemption draws nigh. So we we should be excited. We got a lot to be excited about. It's going to be a... Tough time on the world, but we're we're waiting for our marriage to our groom, Amen. Amen. And he's going to come back and get us. We've been uh, uh, we'll hear some more about that. The Lord's quickened some stuff to me this week to share on Sunday, but we're going to pick up in Job tonight. <clears throat> Let's go to Job chapter thirty-two. <clears throat> we're getting close to where God's going to show up. Going to have one more guy step up to the plate, and we'll try to. Uh, go through what he has to say. He has a lot of good things to say, but everybody's operating from a, a bad spot because nobody really knows what's going on. So let's pray, and uh, but God's going to let them all know what's going on here shortly. So, Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for all those that have joined us around the globe, wherever they're at. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to speak Your Word. And uh, you, Heaven and Earth's going to pass away, but Your Word is going to stand forever, and we see that over and over and over as we watch the prophecies coming to pass, even in our day, we can watch the news and see prophecies coming to pass and being fulfilled you 've not left us in the dark, you said that that they shouldn 't catch us off guard or catch us unaware because you have given us your word, your truth, and you are the word jesus you 're the way, the truth, and the life, and you were the word made flesh, and so We celebrate that in our lives. We ask you, Lord, to forgive us, cleanse us from any unrighteousness that's in our lives. May we keep our eyes and our hearts focused on you. Been a lot of sickness going around, God. We we just pray that you'll recover your people, Lord, that they'll be touched in their bodies and be recovered. And we thank you, Lord, that you do hear us when we pray. And uh, you said you'd never leave us nor forsake us. And we rejoice in that fact in Jesus' name. Amen. So now the youngest guy of the uh, whole group's been sitting around not saying anything. And he's going to talk the longest. He's going to give the longest spiel here. And he's got a lot of good things to say. Again, the biggest problem we have, and this is, uh, let me put this on the board here. Uh, When trouble comes, right? God uses trouble in our lives. Uh, he uses adversity, is probably the better word to say. But adversity has its own set of trouble. Sometimes, trouble is because of us. Sometimes we bring trouble into our own lives by resisting God, by doing something against God or His Word. You're going to bring, we can bring trouble in our lives with that. But sometimes we go into trials or we have adversity And it's God's way of taking us to the weight room or strength training, as I want to call it, in a spiritual sense. God, we get that resistance in our lives. And so God's purifying us and bringing us to a place where He can get glory out of our lives. But sometimes the trouble's our fault. Sometimes it's not our fault. Sometimes we're just going through battles. So here's what I would suggest to you all. This is how I try to live my life. When you face adversity, when you got some trouble, some circumstances that are bringing trouble into your life, just go have, have, spend some time with the Lord and just take inventories. What I like to do, take inventory, make sure that you're not doing anything that would bring, that would open the door for Satan to come in and give you trouble. That way, you know where to stand. Sometimes it may be just as simple as saying, Lord, forgive me. I was in the wrong there or... It may be as simple as turning from something and turning back to God it could that could rectify a situation or you may get the insight from God, say, just stand your ground, you're in a battle, right? Just stand your ground so job's in a battle like that. he's not done anything wrong now we're not presupposing that job is a perfect man by any stretch of the imagination, but we are we do have we have the insider information because we got the advantage of this story being given to us after the fact. So we know that Satan's come in and he's uh, challenged God and God's pointed out Job and said, Job's going to stick with me no matter what you do with him. And think about how discouraged Satan had to be after this. I think we can make the devil discouraged. The Bible says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil... And then the devil will flee from you. And you've heard me say this a lot. How about a life where the devil's trying to get away from you instead of you trying to get away from him? That's the kind of life we'd like to live, right? Where the devil says, I don't want to go around those people because they make me sick. <laughs> they won't turn loose of God no matter what I do to them. And that's who Job was. He did prove that. So this young guy comes up, and it'll be pretty self-explanatory He's going to say a lot of good things, but they don't necessarily apply in Job's situation. But they could apply in our situation. We may say, hey, I'm at odds with God here. I need to clear that up and that'll take care of this problem. So these three men ceased answering Job and because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then the, the wrath of Eli, Elihu, Elihu is probably how you would say that. El in the Hebrew is usually L, El, Elihu the son of Barakel, the Buzite of the family of Ram, was aroused against Job. His wrath was aroused because he justified himself rather than God. So you got to, Job is still a human, right? He's not superhuman. Also against his three friends, his wrath was aroused because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. So the young guys come into the plate, and he says a few things, he says, now because they were, they were years older than he, Elihu had waited to speak to Job. So he, he respected his elders, he respected those involved, and when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, his wrath was aroused. So Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, uh, answered and said, I am young in years, and you are very old. There, I don't know if that's the best way to start the conversation. <laughs> uh, you guys are all old. Uh, Therefore, I was afraid and dared not declare my opinion to you. I said age should speak and multitude of years should teach wisdom. Right? So he's the guy that said age before youth or age before... You've heard somebody say age before beauty or whatever. But there is a spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. Great men are not always wise. Can we say that's true? Right? All you got to do is got to look outside and know that's true. People who have great positions sometimes are very stupid, unwise. Great men are not always wise, nor are the aged always understand justice. And there, there's another proverb that says, just because people got gray hair, don't mean they're wise. Right? And that's true. Right? God, we get wisdom from God. The Bible says if we ask, He gives it to us liberally. So God, if you want wisdom, you need to ask God for it. It don't necessarily come with living life. Right? Because we know some folks that have lived life a long time and they're still making bad decisions. Right? And the worst decision that can be made or not be made is not to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ and follow Him. So... If you need wisdom, and we all need it, ask God. The Bible says he gives it liberally. So God, if you want some wisdom, ask God for it. You should ask God regularly for wisdom. He's the one that gives it. He says, uh, therefore I say, listen to me, I also will declare my opinion. It's good that he said it that way. Indeed, I waited for your words. I listened to your reasonings while you searched out what to say. I paid close attention to you, and surely not one of you convinced Job. Or answered his words. What did Paul say? He said, and these guys didn't know this, obviously the New Testament written, and maybe they should have known it. Who knows? They knew about the flood, they knew about creation, they knew about all that. But Job said, or Paul said, we're going to judge nothing before it's time. See, and that's what we do a lot of times. I'm going to go back to an example I gave you early on in this book and this is a true story that that stephen covey gives and he says he gets on the subway in new york and a guy's on there with his two children and it's early on a sunday morning if i remember correctly and they the guys with his head down and his children are going wild all over the subway car and knocking into people knocking their newspapers out of their hands And uh, uh, Covey says he finally took all he could take, and he says, hey, he said, can you not do something with your children? He said, they're disturbing everybody in this subway car. And he said, the guy wakes up or kind of comes up startled as if he don't really know what's going on. And he said, oh, oh, I guess I should. He said, we just came from the hospital where their mother died, and I don't really know what to do right now. So you can judge a situation, right? And not have the knowledge you need to judge that situation. All these guys are in the dark here. They don't know what's went on between God and Satan. They don't know that Job didn't do something stupid and open the door to the devil. God just kind of is using him. And aren't we glad God used Job? Because this is the one book that if we'll open our lives up to it, it'll keep us from feeling sorry for ourselves. Woe is me. Look how bad I've got it, right? Nobody's had it worse than Job. And he didn't open the door for Satan. God just kind of set all this up. And so, you know, Paul talks about not judging things before they unfold, right? Let things unfold. And uh, there's a valuable lesson there that the Covey guy was teaching when he talked about how, You know, he was judging that situation and and trying to figure it out. And and what would we have been doing, right? If we'd left the hospital and our wife had just passed away or our spouse or... And you got, you know, he was in a zone because he had just... His whole world had come to a screeching halt on that subway that day. So we got to be careful with that. And he he said, I was... uh, I was uh, paying attention, none of you guys are able to get through to Job, lest you say, he says in verse 13, we've found wisdom, God will vanquish him, not man. Now he has not directed his words against me, so I will not answer him with your words. They are dismayed and answered no more. So he's kind of been on the sidelines, Elihu Eli, has, and he says, they are dismayed and answered no more, words escape them, and I have waited because they did not speak. Because they stood still and answered no more, I also will answer my part. I too will declare my opinion, for I am full of words, and the spirit within me compels me. Indeed, my belly is like wine that is no vent. It is ready to burst the like new wineskins. I, I, I will speak that I may find relief. I must open my lips and answer. Let me not, I pray, show partiality to anyone, nor let me flatter any man. And everybody, we all hope that's where we're at. And the more we spend time in the Word, and the more we get saturated with the Word, the more we can be that way. That we just kind of... Was it Peter said, if any man speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If you've ever sat down in front of me, you're going to hear God's Word about whatever situation you're bringing before me. And if I give you an opinion, I make that very clear. And, hey, this is my opinion. Or I want you to make know that there's a difference between God's word and what Matthew thinks and you need to make that make sure that yourself when you're speaking with people I will speak that I may find relief I must open my lips and answer let me not I pray show partiality and let me not flatter any man for I do not know how to flatter else my maker would soon take me away and the Bible says be careful of anybody that fills you with flattery another proverb right be careful of that But please, Job, hear my speech and listen to all my words. Now I open my mouth, my tongue speaks in my mouth. My words come from my upright heart. My lips utter pure knowledge. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of Almighty gives me life. Do you know what we've seen a little bit in all these guys? Let me go back to my board here. Pride. We've seen that in all of them. And guess what? you'll see that come out of you from time to time that is the problem not it that is that deep stuff pride and God takes us on journeys to empty it out now when God the Bible tells us to walk and all we need to all walk in all the light we've been given God brings more light into our lives exposes more we need to empty that out and that's how we grow right God brings the light into our lives, and the more light we have, the more we can cooperate with God. Things we cannot see, right? And God can't... Do you know how light works, right? Light works, it dispels darkness, right? If you, if you go into a dark room and you can start lighting a candle, where that candle's at, it will overpower all the darkness, you'll be able to spot that candle. The more light you bring into that room, the more visible it becomes. We know that light is very powerful. It is so powerful that they can do surgery with it, right? It's also so powerful now that we can actually, our nation can do war with it. That's how powerful light. And we, of course, the Bible's always told us how powerful light is because it says in the last when Jesus returns with all of us that he'll destroy his enemies with the brightness of his appearance. So that's how powerful light is. Light's overwhelming. We can only take so much at a time. If God just overcome us with light, it would destroy us. So he takes us in little by little with that light and exposes us to more of his light. That's how he purifies us. That's how he brings us into a greater measure of him. What did John say? He said, he must increase and I must decrease. That's a process that, that happened with John in the natural, but that's the process that God's taken us through. So too much light would overwhelm us. We couldn't take it. And it's just the same thing he did with the children of Israel when he took them in the promised land. He said, I'm going to destroy your enemies little by little, lest the land is just wide open and it becomes desolate and it gets overrun again with wild animals and stuff. He said, I'm going to do this a little by little. That's, That's what we call in the New Testament sanctification. Paul said, you're sanctified by the washing of the water of the word. The word is the light of God and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So what happens is the more light that I'm given, the more I'm exposed and the more I can cooperate with God. God says he shines a light on something in our lives. He says, okay, let's deal with this now, right? And that's what these guys are going through. God's getting ready to correct everybody here in, in the few chapters. But that's what God's going to do in your life. You're responsible for all the light you've been given. You're not in competition with me. I'm not in competition with Billy Graham or anybody else. I'm responsible to walk in all the light I've been given. And as God unfolds His self to me through that light, then He holds me more accountable and we deal with new things, right? None of us are perfected yet, right? When we see Him, we're going to be like Him. So you have this, I would call it bad teaching that went around years ago, that sanctification was like salvation. You come to the altar one time and you got sanctified. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us that we're sanctified through a process of the Word of God taking over our lives. Paul said you're sanctified by the washing of the water of the word. So you get more sanctified the more the word comes into your life and opens you up to God. So we've all got some pride down in there in us, right? And and that stuff keeps coming out. And it's, it's, it's ugly, ain't it, right? It's ugly when it comes out. Have any of you ever fasted for any length of time? The stuff that comes out, Either direction is ugly after a while. Your, your, your body starts purifying itself. If you fast long enough, it'll start purifying itself. And it starts drudging things out of your intestines and different parts of your body and expelling them, stuff that's kind of built up over time. So fasting is a beautiful thing spiritually, but it's also a healthy thing to do because you start emptying out things that's kind of been in there too long. And so God does that spiritually with us. He turns the light on. And, and when God turns the light up, we see things we didn't see before. And see, here's one of our frustrations with people we love, right? You think, man, I see what's going on over there. But have you learned this? If you've, if you've walked with God any length of time at all, you've probably learned this. They will not cooperate until they see what you see you're gonna get frustrated you're gonna like man i can see what's going on in their life but until they see it they're not and that's how we are with god we 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 might like something that's going on that needs to be fixed or emptied out <clears throat> until god reveals that to us we can't see it so god's going to show up here in a minute, in a few chapters to all these guys But you see pride here, even in all of them. You see pride in all these guys, including Job. And and they're all perplexed because they got that same mindset that we've got that says, if there's something going on bad, there must be something wrong. Right? And even today, right? Listen, if you go back, in my lifetime, the people I can... If you go back to Nixon... Our president Nixon, his own mother told him, prophesied to him and said, one of the reasons God's going to make you the president is because you're going to be in a spot to help Israel. And he did. He, he made a decision, I think it was in the early 70s, in one of those wars that helped Israel. And his own mother, who was a devout believer... Told him, said that's, and he had the connection there. I think they made a movie about it, if I'm not mistaken. And how his his decision here in America. And if you go back and watch our presidents, how some of them have helped Israel and some of them have helped Islam, all that's worked. That's been part of the plan to get this world to this moment, everybody, that God's raised up as our president and as other world leaders. The Bible says that he raises, He puts kings in office and he's the one that brings them out. He's the one that raises them up. And all that's been part of the plan. It's hard for us because we want to see right done, right? Well, the cat's out of the bag. This thing's in a mess because of sin. And sin, I'm going to share something with you. When he was talking about the Amorites was one of the groups he was talking about. When he sent Israel into the promised land, he said, we're not going to destroy them yet because their sin's not full. It's not finished. And that's what we're seeing. I know, I hate to see some of the things take place. I hate to see some of the things going on in our own country. I hate to see things that are going on in the Middle East. But God's plan is going to come to pass. And the reason it's going to come to pass is because he told us the wages of sin is death. That is the wages of sin. And the world's not going to escape that. You and I are going to escape that because we've believed in Jesus Christ. And whosoever will can escape that. Anybody out there in the world, under the sound of my voice, the Bible says it's not God's will that any would perish, but that all would come unto repentance, that they would all have eternal life. So God's willing to do that. But this this sin's going to run its course. And what's going to happen? You've been hearing me say something. Nations are going to be gone. Damascus is going to be gone. Gaza is going to be gone. When God, Russia's going to get judged. uh, Iran's going to get judged. Iraq, because they're all in in Psalm thirty-eight. When Psalm eighty, excuse me, Ezekiel thirty-eight. When Psalm eighty-three starts going and happening, and all these nations are getting judged, and these cities are totally wiped out. These other boys out here that have been funding all that, that's Gog, Magog, and Persia and all that, they're going to start saying, hey, we might not want nothing to do with Israel because God's showing up. And, and God said, oh, no. Oh, no, you done, you're going to get yours. And the Bible said He's going to put a hook in their jaw and bring them down because they're going to get judged too. And the Bible says in, Psalm, in Ezekiel 38, it'll take seven months to bury the dead when God's through judging those nations. And then that's not all. Armageddon's still got to happen. And when we come back with him, the Bible says the, the blood will be up to the horse's bridle. Because I'm telling you, sin is going to get done. God's going to do away with it. It's going to run its course. And those who've loved pleasure more than they they love darkness, more than they love light. They're going to be judged. Those who have worked against God's plan and His people, that includes Israel and the the Christian, they're going to be judged. And God's going to have the last say in all this. This stuff's going to run its course. And God has raised up leaders in certain situations, allowed them to happen, to finish His plan. And when this hourglass runs out, uh, quote-unquote, figuratively speaking, the world will then have to stand before its creator every one of them hitler stalin mohammed every one of them all of us they'll have to stand before the lord these guys are uh, showing pride coming out of them he says uh, the spirit of god's made me breathe the almighty gives me life <clears throat> verse 33 verse 4, he says, uh, if you, verse 5 says, If you can answer me, set your words in order before me, take your stand. Truly I am as your spokesman before God. I also have been formed out of clay. Little humility trying to come out there. Surely no fear of me will terrify you, nor will my hand be heavy on you. So everybody's trying to take up for God. But they all don't know that Job is God's man. Surely you have spoken in my hearing, and I have heard the sound of your word, saying, I am pure without transgression. I am innocent, and there is no iniquity in me. Yet he finds occasions against me, and he counts me as his enemy. He puts my feet in stocks. He watches all my past. Now the devil's doing all the trouble, but God has dropped the hedge. Look in this that you are not righteous. I will answer you, for God is greater than man. True statement. Why do you contend with him? For he does not give an, accordi- an accounting of any of his words. True again. God don't have to answer to any of us. And he'll, he'll, he'll talk for himself here in a few chapters. All those are true statements. He says, uh, he says, for God is greater than man. He don't contend with him. He don't account to any of us. For God may speak in verse 14 in one way or another, yet man does not perceive it in a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon men when slumbering on their beds. Then he opens the ears of men and seals their instruction in order to turn man from his deed and conceal pride from man. He keeps back his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. If you want to stay humble, just remember this. You didn't bring nothing in this world, and you ain't taking nothing out when you leave. Jacob, Absalom, was full of pride. And he died a horrible death. He had beautiful hair. He was known for his hair. I think they cut it one time and it weighed five pounds. But his hair, is what his pride, the symbol of his pride is what got him caught in that tree. And they killed him because he was hung up in a tree. He had so much hair. That's a lot of hair, really, if you think about it. Some of us will never get caught in a tree. (laughs) He got hung in a tree and they killed him. But he made, a, he made a statue of himself, and to this day it's gone. Nobody knows. He exalted himself. Jacob dug a well, and it's still over there to this day. He humbled himself. God took him on a journey to humble him, and Jacob became a humble man over time, and Absalom was full of pride, right? So you didn't bring nothing in this world. You're not taking nothing out. The richest guy on the other side's God. We don't own nothing. <laughs> we walk on his streets that are paved with gold. We live in his house in one of our rooms. Every The breath we take is his air, right? Everything belongs to God. We only have, and I've said this many times, we only have ownership horizontally. We don't own nothing vertically. It's all God's. Everything, we only, this is my shirt and you have your shirt. That's only with us. With God, everything in this shirt was made out of his stuff. And so, that's true. God is, He's in charge. He keeps, He says He opens the ears of man, and and He's in charge. He conceals pride. Verse 18, He keeps back His soul from the pit and His life from perishing by the sword. Man is also chastened with pain on his bed and with strong pain in many of his bones so that His life abhors bread and His soul succulent food. Anybody ever been there? You've been in a moment, a season in your life where he didn't even want to eat. I've been there. Didn't even want to, just suffering and... Maybe spiritually or emotionally or even physically or maybe all three at the same time. Like Job, he's going through all three of those. His body's been raked with pain, uh, sores. He's scraping them. Remember, he's scraping them. The sores on him. His wife's turned against him. His, the Bible said his wife's breath strange to him, so she didn't have nothing to do with him. He lost all his children an emotional battle. He can't figure out what's going on. The spiritual warfare, the devil's all around, and everybody's just coming after him, and everybody's turned on him. He's bored now by the community that, he, that everybody got help from him at one time. Man, this guy's in a battle. Could you go through what he went through and not turn you back on God? Have you not watched people walk out on God for a little of nothing? I have. I've watched them walk out for nothing. Because God didn't do this or that or the other. They just walk out on. The Bible says if we faint, in Proverbs it says if we faint in the day of adversity, our strength is small. So when you go through adversity, it's, it's designed to, to build our strength, but it's also designed to reveal us to us so we can say, hey, wait a minute, this is where I'm at. I need to grow. I need to get more in the Word. I need to give more self prayer. This trial I'm going through is revealing some things to me about me. Listen, somebody said, God sent me through that to see what I'd do. No, He didn't. God already knew what you'd do. He's God. He sent you and I through that season in our lives so we could see what we're capable of. He already knew. But once again, I have to say, you and I, for us to start cooperating with God, we got to see what He's seeing in us. So He lets us go through a trial so we, we can be revealed to us where we're at. God already knows where we're at or He's not God. And we know that he is God. He's already been around the corner before we get there. So God's not sending you through a trial to see, see what you're going to do. God wasn't caught off guard when Adam and Eve uh, ate from that tree. God wasn't back there scratching his head thinking, Oh, goodness, I didn't expect this. What's going what, are we going, what are we going to do now? <laughs> right? You know, the, the Bible tells us exactly what had happened in the book of Revelation. The last book of the Bible tells us what happened before the world was created. I feel this. It said that Jesus had already entered into a covenant with the Father that He would be the atonement for mankind before man was ever created. So God knew that Adam and Eve were going to blow it. He knew they were. And so He had already... The Bible says Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. So God the Father and God the Son had already entered what most theologians call the everlasting covenant, that He would be the atonement for the failure of man. And so God wasn't caught off guard. He's not caught off guard about nothing. We're the ones that are caught off guard. And so God says, okay, look here, Matt's not seeing what we're seeing. I can just see him talking to Jesus and saying, at the right hand saying, we're going to have to send the Holy Spirit over there. We need to drop the hedge over there on Matthew because he's not seeing what we're seeing. And we need to get him to cooperate. I hear you, Lord. We need to get him to cooperate with us. So let's drop the hedge. Let's let the adversary in on him a little bit so it'll get his attention. And then he'll see what we see. Uh, listen, <clears throat> one of my greatest, bestest friends of all time, who's going to be the Lord now, he was had blood clots in his lungs. They thought he was going to leave here. I got a word from God. And I, I, I went to him, and, and it took some faith for me to tell him this because they were it was touch and go. They thought one of those blood clots was going to cut loose and he'd be gone. I'll never forget this, but I knew I'd had a word from God. And I went to his bed. I got at the feet of his bed, and I grabbed a hold of his feet, and I said to him, I said, this ain't about dying. This is about the Lord Getting your attention. See, a lot of times, that's the first thing we think, right? Oh, goodness. The devil's outside with the pitchfork. I'm, it's over now. I'm getting ready to leave here. <laughs> so many things in our life, they're not about dying. It's about God getting our attention. And saying, I want to take you a little deeper than where you're at now. I want to, do you feel that? I want to show you some stuff. It's not bad. He said, I want to get you from here to here. I want to, he said, the Bible says he's taken us from glory to glory, right? And he said, I don't want you to stay here because I've got so much more for you, but you're going to have to see what I see so you can start cooperating. We need to leave here. I want to take you somewhere else. That's the love of God. That's the beauty of God. He said, oh, I'm going to feed you right here with this raven for a little while, but then I'm going to show you something else. I'm going to take you over there where that widow woman's at, and I'm going to blow her mind and yours and build your faith like you've never seen it before. That's what God's doing. You know what God's working on in your life? He's not working on your IRAs. God's working on your faith. There's nothing more important going on in your life than your faith. Because this world we've seen, it can collapse in a moment. And when it collapses, then what are you going to do? You're going to walk by faith the same thing you've been doing today. You're going to keep doing it. That's why we win. That's why we win. Because we don't trust in chariots and horses. We trust in the name of the Lord. He may get you some money out of a fish's mouth. Amen. You can give God praise. But why don't we say that and make the devil mad? Some trust... In chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Listen, I don't, you can't put God in a box. He may give you money, He may send you manna from heaven, He may part the sea in front of you. Just let Him be God. That's what you need to do. You live by faith. Keep your eyes on him. He may hand you. You know what he did with the children of Israel? The Bible says when they were leaving Egypt, the Egyptians were standing there saying, here, take this gold, take this silver, take all this with you. God gave them favor. And the Bible says many of the Egyptians believed they believed. They saw who God was. And they believed. And then he said, hey, they said, hey, Lord, and I'm going to try this next payment due. The Lord said, he said, Lord, we got some taxes. He said, go to some fish down there. I'm going to go fishing for my next payment. It's got some money in its mouth. Right? He send a raven. He sends you to a widow. The most unlikely place sends you to a widow. But it's all about faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And that's why I'm challenging you. We're living in a world now where you're going to be tempted to back down and hoard up. You can't be doing that. You've got to keep being a giver. You've got to keep being moving forward. You've got to keep living by faith. That's where our security at is in pleasing the Lord. That's where our security's at. And so Eli- Elihu, I'm trying to finish what he's saying here. He says, "Man's chasing, and so we've all been in a spot like that." Verse twenty two. Yes, his soul draws near the pit; his life to the executioners. If there's a messenger for him, a mediator, one among a thousand. Oh, I might—I forgot to tell you, my buddy did live. He come out of—he didn't die. It was all about God's work in his life. <laughs> then he is gracious to him and says, "Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom." His flesh shall be young like a child's and shall return to the days of youth. He shall pray to God, and he will delight in him. He will see his face with joy. He restores to man his righteousness. Then he looks at men and says, I have sinned and perverted what is was right, and it did not profit me. That's another true statement. If you and I pervert God's word, doesn't matter what it is, do not try, do not come to the word and make it fit you. You come to the Word and fit yourself to it. You should love the Word even when it hits you right between the eyes. That's the kind of relationship you should have with it. I'm one of those guys, and I think most of the people that sit under me the same way. If I'm in the wrong, I want to know it. I want to correct it. I don't want to buck up and stay in the wrong and stay deceived. And he goes on to say, he says, he says, he redeemed his soul from going down the pit and his life shall see the light. In verse 29, behold, God works all these things twice, in fact, three times with a man to bring back his soul from the pit that he may be enlightened with the light of life. And he's talking about the mercy and the long suffering of God. And we certainly know how that is. Now, let's be honest. In the natural, there's a lot of stuff that God's allowed to go on that I'd have put a stop to a long time ago. <laughs> That's my emotion, Right. That's my, my emotion involved, because I don't know the ways of God, right? His ways are higher than ours. I don't know how he's long-suffering, merciful, far more than any of us would be. He says, uh, <clears throat> He says, "Behold the work God works all these things twice, in fact, three times with a man to bring back his soul. Verse 31, give ear, job, listen to me, hold your peace, and I will speak. If you have anything to say, answer me. Speak, for I desire to justify you. If not, listen to me, hold your peace, and I will teach you wisdom. So the young guy's saying, hey, if you, if you want to say something here, but Job's talked out, you know, everybody's talked out. And so the young man feels like he's going to have the answer, but he's not going to have the answer really either because everybody's still in the dark about what's went on behind the scenes. And that's where we cannot lose our faith. you're going to be in situations and I am and I have been before where you're in the dark at least for a season about the situation you're in. God did not reveal that's that's where relationship comes in, right? That's where relationship comes in. I I've told this story it's been a while but there there I know, I was in a circle with these preachers. And one of this pastor was in Mexico and he's in our circle and he he was down there. It's probably been fifteen or twenty years ago now. When they had one of those earthquakes in Mexico, and that was, if you remember, it was—if you remember—it was when one of the schools was destroyed, and there were countless school schoolchildren, uh, middle school age and, and younger, in this school building. And um, uh, this preacher's son was in the was in that school that was underneath the rubble, and he went and 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 he was telling us the story. He went and he was digging through the rubble like a lot of family members were trying to find his son because there was so much devastation. The first responders couldn't do it all. So, you know, if your son's in there, or daughter, you're, or whoever, you're going to go. And he, and he keeps uh, uh, calling and to his son and everybody, you know, they call every so often to try to get some feedback from the people buried in the rubble. And he's trying to dig for his son. And, and <clears throat> come to find out, when he got, finally, he heard his son. And his son responded to him. And when he could get within proximity of his son, his son, who was, I think, nine or ten years old, said, he said, I'm coming to get you, son. And his son said, he said, no, Dad. He said, there's some children over here that are frightened. He said, you go get them before you get... And this is talking about a nine or ten year old. He said, you go get them... Before you get me, because I know you won't leave me here. That's relationship. That's what we got to know. You're not going to know everything about everything. I don't know everything about everything. But I know who knows everything about everything. See, that's a good spot to be in. Do you realize we're in a better spot than any world leader if they don't know Jesus? We got greater access than anybody in the world as Christians. Anybody don't know Jesus, we have greater access than they do. More access to power and everything. So <clears throat> remember that. he's God's long-suffering. He's patient. He, he Remember that when you don't know what's going on, you have a God who's in charge. Elihu further answered, said, Hear my words, you wise men, give ear to me, you who have knowledge... For the ear test words, as the palate tastes food, let us choose justice for ourselves and let us know among ourselves what is good. For Job has said, I am righteous, but God has taken, my, uh, taken away my justice. Should I lie concerning my right? My wound is incurable, though I am without transgression. What man is like Job, who drinks scorn like water, who goes in company with the workers of iniquity and walks with wicked men. For he has said, it profits a man nothing that he should delight in God. Therefore, listen to me, you men of understanding, Far be it from God to do wickedness and from the Almighty to commit iniquity, for he repays man according to his work and makes man to find a reward according to his way. Surely God will never do wickedly, nor will the Almighty pervert justice. And all that's true. God is a relational God. All right. Right now, and sometimes we see pockets of this. but right now god is being redemptive and he is redemptive in our lives even with job there's a day when he's going to be punitive when it'll be over and men will be cut off if they did not choose to follow him but he he's talking about how god does not do wicked and that's all true He repays man according to his work. And there's a scripture in there about that. Each man will receive according to his work. Makes man to find a reward according to his way. Surely God will never do wickedly, nor will the Almighty pervert justice. Who gave him charge over the earth, or who appointed him over the whole world? If he should set his heart on it, if he should gather to himself, his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together, and men would return to the dust. That's good stuff. That's true. If God just put the brakes on, we'd all be done. These guys, and this is why I'm telling you, these guys were writing, they were talking, they knew what languages were. And the people who now believe some of the stuff they lied to us about, now we know one of the devil's first attempt was to distort knowledge. That's why he went after that tree. And and distort education and getting the right kind of education from God. He'd done all that from the very beginning. Adam and Eve, they weren't stupid. They were probably writing in cursive better than we ever did. These people talk to God. You think, God, is there something out there that God didn't know? Job wrote, writing this stuff down eventually. These guys knew. They knew. They're smart. They know who's in charge. They said, we, they knew about the flood. They knew about the fall in the garden. If you have understanding, hear this, listen to the sound of my words. Should one who hates justice govern? Will you condemn him who is most just? If it's fitting to say to a king, you are worthless to the nobles, you are wicked, yet he is not partial to princes, nor does he regard the rich more than the poor. And that good news, this is all good about God. For they are all the work of his hands. In a moment they die in the middle of the night. People are shaken and pass away. The mighty are taken away without a hand. For his eyes are on the ways of of man, and he sees all his steps. Think about that. Ain't nothing... The only thing that won't have to give an account for is what we've repented for. But all these people that live apart from God and refuse to accept Jesus Christ, He knows everything they've ever done. Ain't no, Listen, I know we all sometimes get frustrated, probably and think, man, they keep getting away with that. They ain't getting away with nothing. Nobody's getting away with nothing. The only way to get away with something is to repent and put it under the blood. And that ain't really getting away with it because... He paid the price for it all. Somebody paid the price and it was Jesus. So if you want to overcome and not have to uh, stand and uh, give an account of your own sins, give them to Jesus. He died in your place. But I'm going to tell you right now, ain't nobody getting by with nothing. That ain't how this works. He knows every step that's ever been taken. The Bible says we'll have to give an account for every idle word we speak. Man. Man. Should I take up an offering to cheer us up or something? <laughs> Taking up an offering would be more fun than that when I'm thinking about that. Uh, <laughs> his eyes are on the way his steps. There is, no, uh, there is no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. For he, for he need no further consider a man that he should go before God in judgment. He breaks in pieces mighty man. I love what El is doing here. He's really bolstering God, and God deserves everything he's saying about him. This is real. Uh, then he should go before God and judge. He breaks in pieces mighty men without inquiry. He sets others in their place, right? He brings them up, tears them down. Therefore, he knows their works. He overthrows them in the night, and they are crushed. He strikes them with wicked men in the open sight of others because they turn back from him and would not consider any of his ways. That's where the world's at. Just walking out on God. Not turning to God. Just doing their own thing. And that's going to come back to destroy them. He says, So they cause the cry of the poor to come to him. For he hears the cry of the afflicted. When he gives quietness, who, can, who then can make trouble? And when he hides his face, who then can see him? Whether it is against a nation or a man alone. I'm telling you, wait do you hear what the Lord's given me for this Sunday. This, he's in charge. God is fully in charge. I don't care how you feel or what you look out there and you think it's chaos. It's not chaos. God is in charge. And this is all puppets on a string when it comes to God. He says, "...that the hypocrite would not reign, <clears throat> lest the people be ensnared. For, uh, for has anyone said to God, I have borne chasing. I will offend no more. Teach me what I do not see. If I have done iniquity, I will do no more." Should he repay it according to your terms, just because you disvow it? You may choose, and not I, therefore speak that you know. Men of understanding say to me, wise men who listen to me. Job speaks without knowledge. His words are without wisdom. Oh, that Job were tried at, to the utmost, because he answers. his answers are like those of a wicked man. For he adds rebellion to his sin. He claps his hands among us and multiplies his words against us. We'll stop there. But I want to say something to you. Sometimes somebody may be in the heat of the moment and say something to you or around you or do something that you need to give them some grace for. These guys forgot to how to give Job some Grace. I don't know how well anybody in this building would be doing if we lost everything, including every one of our children. Sometimes you need to give people grace. And these guys have forgotten that. How to give people grace. Every, most of what they said was true about God. I love the discourse here, Eli, Eli he was giving on God. But man, loving, loving your neighbor as yourself. Sometimes just being there. Lord, we thank you for the time we've had together. I thank you for your word. We know that you're in charge and we're seeing it more and more. We're not. We're not in charge, Lord. (laughs) You are. And we just ask that you give us grace and mercy to follow you forgive us of our sins forgive us of all the things that we've done that cater to us and not to promote your will we just ask lord that as we leave this place tonight that we'll be a little more like you and a little less like us in jesus name amen Amen.